I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! Any of you fucking tricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! <laughs> Are you ready? I say, are you ready? To go on a ride. A ride to a masterpiece. By a genius. Mr. Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. A true masterpiece by this man. Pulp Fiction is the name of one of the best feature films ever made in Hollywood. If you ain't a fan yet... Let me take you on this ride, and I'll promise you, you'll become one. And by the way, this is Sylvia Dos Santos. Come on this ride with me. Now just know, you'll enjoy it, just like I will. Lying in bed, Fabienne makes the argument that having a flat belly sexy to which Butch responds, You think men would find that attractive? Fabienne responds with this. By the way, Fabienne is Maria de Medeiros, our very own Portuguese actress, in a scene with Bruce Willis for the movie Pop Fiction and she says with a French accent it's unfortunate that what we find pleasing to the touch and pleasing to the eye is seldom the same more quotes ahead cue the music
Portuguese actress that portrayed Fabienne on screen with Bruce Willis interpreting Butch. And she says, Whose motorcycle is this? And he says, Butch says, It's a chopper, baby. Fabienne goes, Whose chopper is this? Butch goes, it's Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dad, baby. Zed's dad. <laughs> One of <laughs> hilarious scenes. If you like dark comedy, of course. That's right, Butch. Zed is very dead. It's high time that you and your girlfriend get out of town. Quickly. Well, another quote I love from the scene, a line from the movie Pulp Fiction. Jules, 
interpreted by none other than Samuel L. Jackson. He goes with accent. Read the Bible, Brad. Yes. Well, there's this passage I've got memorized that sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by iniquities, by the selfish and the tyranny of the evil man. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Oh, well, definitely one of the Samuel L. Jackson's, Samuel L. Jackson's finest moments on film. While on the other side, Mia Wallace, interpreted by Uma Thurman, she goes, Don't you hate that? Vincent, portrayed by John Travolta, one of the best ever. He goes, What? And she says, Uncomfortable silences. Why do we feel it's necessary to yak about bullshit in order to be comfortable? Vincent goes, I don't know. That's a good question, though. Mia Wallace says, That's when you know you've found somebody special. When you can just shut the fuck up for a minute and comfortably enjoy the silence. Wow, what a scene. Beautifully acted scene by Travolta and Uma Thurman as Mia. Double dare you, motherfucker. 
say what one more goddamn time. <laughs> Samuel Jackson is the man. Don't ask questions, don't get scary responses. In one scene, Jules Winfield, aka Samuel Jackson. Jules Winfield offers a simple solution for avoiding answers you won't enjoy hearing. Just don't ask the questions. Samuel Jackson, aka Jules Winfield, goes, If my answers frighten you, then you should cease asking scary questions. <laughs> Across the table from Vincent, John Travolta, at a meal, Jules stops Vince's inter interrogations short. At hearing this, Vince holds up a finger, starts as if to say something 
retaliatory, then proceeds to leave the table to use the restroom. says, now I want to dance, I want to win, I want that trophy. So, dance good. That's all it takes to compel John Travolta to say, all right, get up on the stage. Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace, ladies and gentlemen. It was a teenage wedding and the old folks wished them well. You could see that Pierre did truly of the mademoiselle And now the young monsieur and madame have rung the chapel bell C'est la vie, c'est the old folks It goes to show you never can tell They furnished off an apartment with a two-room robot sale The coolerator was crammed with TV dinners and ginger ale But when Pierre found work Coming worked out well. C'est la vie, c'est the old folks. The culture show you never can tell. Cherry Red 53 and Drove it down to Orleans To celebrate the anniversary It was there where Pierre Was waiting to the lovely mademoiselle C'est la vie, c'est the old folks Go to show you never can tell
So during Mia and Vince's night out, Mia drops another truth on us viewers. And she says she heads up to the bathroom to do more than use it. And when she returns, she finds her plate of food has arrived. So Uma Thurman, a.k.a. Mia Wallace, says to Vincent Vega, a.k.a. Jean Travolta, she goes, Don't you just love it when you come back from the bathroom and find your food waiting for you? He says, Yes, Mia. Yes, we do. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. I love you so much, can't count all the ways I've died for you, girl, and all they can say is, he's not your kind. They'll never get tired of putting it down, and I never know when I come around what I'm gonna find. Despite Tarantino's love for Uma Thurman, she wasn't his first pick for the movie role of Mia Wallace. Did you know that? Other possible Mias? Isabella Rossellini, Julia Lewis-Dreyfus from Seinfeld, Meg Ryan, Alfre Woodard, 
Halle Berry, Daryl Hannah, Rosanna Arquette, Joan Cusack, uh, yeah, amazing actress, and Michelle Pfeiffer, many others. Tarantino's original favorite was supposedly Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer was for the role of Mia Wallace, not Uma Thurman. But you know what? The destiny, the destiny made his his way to Uma Thurman, and we're glad for that. Tarantino loves vintage board games, and it shows. The filmmaker is an avid board game collector, which is why the film features Operation and a Game of Life. Tarantino convinced Travolta, Jean Travolta, to come on board with an all-day Welcome Back Cardo Grease and Saturday Night Fever board game marathon. And by the way, Vincent's preferred reading material is very real. Vince loves reading Pulp Fiction books during his, Ahem, private time, including Peter O'Donnell's Modesty Blaze, a real Pulp Fiction novel based on O'Donnell's 60s comic strip. Tarantino has long expressed interest in bringing that tale to the big screen, including giving his official license to the 2003 film Quentin Tarantino Presents, My Name is Modesty. The original poster can fetch you several hundred dollars. The first poster had Thurman, Uma Thurman, smoking from a box of Lucky Strike cigarettes. But Miramax hadn't licensed usage rights from Lucky Strikes who threatened to sue. And rather than fight it, Miramax had the posters returned. Those that survived can now command big money. Jewels may have been written for Samuel Jackson, but he almost lost the part. Of the movie. Tarantino very much had Jackson in mind for the role of Jules. Thank God for that. But when he auditioned Paul Calderon, he was so struck by the performance that he very nearly hired him. Jackson, desperate to get his role back, flew to Los Angeles and auditioned for Tarantino again. Yeah. 
famous relative, well, famous in the Tarantino universe, anyway, it's widely believed that Christopher's Walken, Christopher Walkins, that's the right thing to say, Captain Coons is a descendant of Django Unchained, one of Tarantino's movies, character Crazy Craig Coons, who is only mentioned by name in a wanted poster and did you know Robert Rodriguez directed part of the film when Tarantino is on screen as Jimmy someone else had to be behind the camera and that someone was Robert Rodriguez the pair later teamed up for a number of other projects including one of my favorite Dusk Till Dawn and Grindhouse. And did you know that John Travolta didn't really inject Thurman in that scene with cocaine? The infamous scene in which Mia Wallace, a.k.a. Uma Thurman, is stabbed by with a very necessary adrenaline shot was stressful enough so Tarantino took off some of the pressure the needle was inserted for real but and then uh, Travolta pulled it out the scene was reversed in post-production so it looks as if Vincent Vega aka John Travolta really is plunging that syringe into her movie magic, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is truly movie magic. That's why we love John Travolta and Uma Thurman and the genius Quentin Tarantino. They made us. They made that look real. But it isn't real. It's just a movie, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a movie. One of the best ones, of course. Pop fiction. In all this comfort, I can't take the strength. I'd be 
is the character played by uh, Bruce Willis. And did you know it was supposed to be a lot younger? Tarantino wrote the part as a young boxer with Matt Dillon specifically in mind for the role. But when the actor took too much time considering the part, it was tweaked slightly to accommodate none other than Bruce Willis. And we thank Tarantino for that, who was a little ticked that he wasn't asked to play Vincent. She wants it. 
the mysterious anonymous TIG on the car, Top Gears, TV show that I just love it. The anonymous TIG was inspired by the mysterious anonymous pop fiction GIMP. The GIMP was even the original name for the stick, until they couldn't find a racing driver willing to use that name. Just one of the curiosities of pop fiction. And Top Gear. has a long tradition of connecting characters in his various films, and I love him for that. I want to say that. Basically, the filmmaker is working with a number of sprawling family trees. And it's always a treat to see how characters intersect between movies, which would have made Matson's casting events come with a surprising twist in my half made him Mr. Blondes, Madison's character from Reservoir Dogs another great movie by Tarantino twin, as it's long been tr known that Vincent Blondes, our brother As Vincent Vega was written originally for Michael Madsen, Tarantino specifically, specifically, right, wrote a number of roles in the film for chosen actors, including Samuel L. Jackson, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth from the TV show Lie to Me, and Amanda Plummer. But nothing compared to his dedication to having Michael Madsen play Vince. Madsen, who knew of Tarantino's plans and said he wanted to do the part, dropped out two weeks before the script was finished to star in Wyatt Earp. Well, what a curiosity. You should have chained up all the doors and switched up all the locks. And how many times have I prayed? The angels. Even though the film. Uh, Pulp Fiction, of course, made over $100 million. It took a long time to get there. 
Even though Tarantino's film ended up being a tremendous hit, no one knew about that, especially considering that slim budget. It took some time to get there. The film was. Wow, this is alive, <laughs> like Pulp Fiction, I bet. So, as I was saying,、uh, it ended up being a tremendous hit, especially considering that slim budget. It took some time to get there. The film was in release for 178 days before it finally pulled in 100 million domestic dollars. A little comparison it took Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows Part 2 only two days, so that's a comparison, I think. <laughs> the film was the third biggest R rated earner of 1994. The film lost out on the title of True Lies. 146.2 million dollars and speed with、um, Keanu Reeves and、uh, Sandra Bullock at 121.2 million dollars. The film's earnings were strong enough to place it in the overall top 10 for the year, though 1994 was dominated by none other than Tom Hanks' Forrest Gump. Which made 329.6 million dollars that year. But yeah, run, Forrest, run. But I, so I'm talking about pop fiction. So stick around for more curiosities. Cue the music. Take off your silver spurs and. Help me pass the time, and I will give to you summer wine. Oh, summer wine. Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine. Is really made from all these things. I walked in town on silver spurs that jingled too. A song that I had only sang to just a few. She saw my silver spurs and said, "Let's pass some time, and I will give to you summer wine. Oh, summer wine! Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine." Time, and I will give to you 
summer wine Oh, summer wine My eyes grew heavy and my lips they could not speak I tried to get up but I couldn't find my feet She reassured me with an unfamiliar line Then she gave to me more summer wine Oh, summer wine Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring My summer wine is really made from all these things Take off your sun was shining in my eyes My silver spurs were gone My head fell twice its size She took my silver spurs A dollar and a dime And left me craving for More summer wine Oh, summer wine Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine is really made from all these things. Take off those And the movie cost only $8.5 million to make. Can you believe that? When there's a will. Five <laughs> million went to the actors salaries. It made that all black in its first week at the U.S. box office. The film pulled in $9.3 million the first weekend of release. Did you know that Vincent Vega's 1964 Chevelle Malibu Malibu <laughs> was stolen after the shoot? After shooting the movie, the, the car that John Travolta drove, uh, the 1964 Chevelle Malibu, was really stolen for real. It was stolen. John Travolta's character in the film had a sweet ride which in real life belonged to Tarantino. And it was such a hot rod that it was stolen soon after the film's release. It wasn't found for nearly two decades. Yes, 20 years, wow. When two cops happened on a pair of kids um, stripping an older car, After running the vehicle identification number, they found it, shared the number with the car in Oakland, which turned out to be the stolen car by Tarantino's, the um, Tarantino's car. 
in the movie. Oh man, I don't eat pork. Are you Jewish? No, I ain't Jewish. I just don't dig on swine, that's all. Why not? Pigs are filthy animals. I don't eat filthy animals. Yeah, but bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. Hey, sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I'd never know because I wouldn't eat the filthy motherfuckers. Pigs sleep and root and shit. That's a filthy animal. I ain't eat nothing ain't got sense enough to disregard its own feces. How about a dog? Dog eats his own feces. I don't eat dog either. Yeah, but do you consider a dog to be a filthy animal? I wouldn't go so far as to call a dog filthy, but they're definitely dirty. But dogs got personality. Personality goes a long way. Uh, so by that rationale, if a pig had a better personality, he'd cease to be a filthy animal. Is that true? Well, we have to be talking about one charming motherfucking pig. <laughs> I mean, he had to be ten times more charming than that arm on green anchors, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, the film Pulp Fiction contains 265 F words. You know what I mean? Fucking fuck. Okay. Two, 265 F words. Even that hefty number is in Tarantino's highest. 1992's Reservoir Dogs used it 269 times. Still, the film was the big F-word winner of 1994 as no other film released that year even came close to that amount of profanity.
you can watch the film chronologically, kind of. The narrative structure of the film plays out of sequence, but it's easy enough to break it down into seven distinct sections. A prologue, an epilogue, two preludes and three large segments that can be that can then be reordered into a chronological narrative. Hint, the first prelude to the Go Watch section plays first. If that doesn't help, here's an infographic. <laughs> For now, cue the music. Sit down, get comfortable. Yeah. Uh, how long have we known each other? About 10 months? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. You and John are real tight, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, is that an engagement ring? Oh. Congratulations. Oh, he slipped it on your finger last night, huh? He's the luckiest man in the world, you know? He should be real proud to have someone like you. Oh, yeah, um, what I wanted to talk to you about is... Well, there's something that's been bugging me for about five months. And I've been carrying it around with me. And it's getting heavier and heavier every day. And, uh, you know, it's almost to the boiling point. I have to get it off my chest. Yeah. I'm not trying to be fresh or anything because I know you're John's girl, but I just have to tell you this. You see, I have a great deal of respect for you. I'm not being, you know, not going to let feel on you. But, dear, um, you see... I'm gonna take you back to my childhood in a way. See, we had a we had quite a big family. We went, you know, very rich. Sometimes we lived from day to day. But one thing we did do, we went to church every Sunday. You know, Mama took us to church, and I was in the choir too. Yeah, I sang a little bit then. Sunday school. She taught us the Golden Rule, Ten Commandments, and she said. Son, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. She said, don't steal, don't rob. You know, all the things that good parents try to instill in their children. Well, you know, I did, a, you know, a few little things like shoot hook. I guess every kid is shoot hooky, you know, once. And um, she said, stay out of trouble. You know, when I was a teenager, I didn't, you know, break in or 
burglarizing and robbing about it, you know. I tried to work for what I got, you know. Tried to be honest. You know, didn't commit no crimes or nothing. But you know, I had to wait <laughs> until I reached manhood to commit a crime. According to the court of love, if there is such a court. But you know, sometimes you you are forced into things like this. See, sometimes Cupid, Cupid can shoot his arrow so fast you can't get out of the way, you know, and you can fall. And the more you, something just like being in quicksand too. The more you wiggle, uh, the deeper you sink. I'm gonna take up too much of your time. You see, I'm not very good with words, and I had to tell you all of that. You know, to really say what I got to say. See, it's a lot of talk going around town. And I'm on the make for John's girl. You know, Ike is on the make for John's girl. But, you know, I, I don't mean to do anybody wrong because I don't want nobody to bother anything that belongs to me. But, you see, I've never seen me. But, you see, I've never seen anybody like you. I've never known anybody like you. And there's some things you just can't help. You know, some, at night I toss and turn. I try to try to keep it out of my mind. But you see, I find myself thinking about you. I, I, I just can't help it. And right now, I stand accused. Just can't 
I can't help myself. I'm a victim of circumstance. And just one. One Ooh, are you a fan, just like I am, of movie soundtracks, cinema music? You know, those soundtracks that keep up with your life, with my life, with everyone's life. <laughs> I just love songs in the movies. Yeah, I'm guilty. Then again, I'm guilty of loving cinema so much. But what can I do? I stand accused of being a you know, a huge fan of cinema all around. But when my self belongs to another in many rounds, I didn't ask to fall with you. Did you know Honey Bunny that <laughs> she calls Vince Honey Bunny was named after an actual rabbit? A bunny? Oh, yeah. Honey Bunny belonged to Linda Chen, who typed up Tarantino's handwritten script for Pop Fiction. Did you listen? Well, I hope you did. She handwritten the script for Pop Fiction. That's, that's amazing. In lieu of payment, uh, she asked Tarantino to watch her rabbit when she went on location to work. Tarantino wouldn't do it. Of course, he's Tarantino. What else? And when the rabbit later died by his fault, by Tarantino's fault, he named uh, poor rabbit. Oh my God, poor bunny. He named Amanda Plummer's character after Chan's pet, Honey Bunny. <laughs> Another curiosity. The film was released in South Korea, Japan, and even Slovakia before it arrived in America. Well, I didn't know that. Um, Tarantino's film first played the Cannes Film Festival in May 1994. It was shown at other festivals around the world, from Munich to Locarno, before hitting American shores on September 23rd, the 23rd, 1994, at the New York Film Festival. The film was released in South Korea, Japan and Slovakia before it officially opened in the US on October 14, 1994. The feature film rolled out across Asia and Europe 
Europe, yeah, throughout 1994 and 1995. Well, in addition to teaching Americans what a quarter pounder with cheese is called in Europe, the film reunited the career of John Travolta, who received a Best Actor Oscar nomination for his work and even showed audiences a different side of Bruce Willis. Here's a conversation with Royal Cheese for you. Okay. So tell me again about the hash part. Okay, what you want to know? Hash yeah, is legal now, right? Yeah, it's legal, but ain't 100% legal. I mean, you just can't walk into a restaurant, roll the joint and stop puffing away. I mean, they want you to smoke in your home or certain designated places. And those are hash marks. Yeah, it breaks down like this. Okay, it's, it's legal to buy it. It's legal to own it. And if you're the proprietor of a hash bar, it's legal to sell it. It's legal to carry it, but 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 that doesn't matter because get a load of this. All right, if you get stopped by a cop in Amsterdam, it's illegal for them to search you. I mean, that's the right that cops in Amsterdam don't have. Oh man, I'm going. That's all it is to it. I'm fucking going. <laughs> no, baby, you dig it the most. But you know what the funniest thing about Europe is? What? It's a little differences. I mean, they got the same shit over there that they got here, but it's just, just there, it's a little different. Example. All right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? Oh, man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. What do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Well, Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> what do they call a Whopper? I don't know. I didn't go on a Burger King. You know what they put on French fries in Holland instead of ketchup? What? Mayonnaise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them do it, man. They fucking drown them in this shit. Yeah. More about pop fiction in just a while. First, kill the music. Oh, 
Quentin Jerome Tarantino, born March 27th, 1963, is an American filmmaker and actor. He's known for his extended scenes of dialogue ensemble cast. And a wide variety of other film soundtracks, primarily like this one, like this song we're listening to now. Soundtracks primarily containing songs and score pieces from the 60s to the 80s. Alternative story. And uh, features of neo noir film, nonlinear storylines, and violence. Well, that's <laughs> there's a lot of violence in these movies. Crime, drama, action, spaghetti western. Some may say alternate history and black comedy. But these songs he chooses for his movies are on my playlist all the time. So enjoy this one if you like soundtrack movies. Movie soundtracks, that's better. Yeah. 
pop fiction is a 1994 American independent neo-noir crime film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, who conceived it with Roger Avery, starring John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Medeiros, our own very own Portuguese actress, Ving Rhimes, Eric Schultz, Rosanna Arcat, Christopher Walken, and Bruce Willis, and many other. Cinematography, Andreses Secula. Edited by Sally Menke. And distributed by, of course, Miramax Films. It tells several stories of criminal Los Angeles. The title refers to the pop magazines and hard-boiled crime novels popular during the mid-20th century, known for their graphic violence and punchy dialogue. Tarantino wrote pop fiction in 1992 and 1993, incorporating scenes that Avery originally wrote for True Romance. In 1993, its plot occurs out of chronological order, like I said before. The film is also self-referential from its opening moments, beginning with a title card that gives two dictionary definitions of pulp. Considerable, considerable screen time is devoted to monologues and casual conversations, which I love it. I love those endless conversations in the movie. With eclectic dialogue, revealing each character's perspectives on several subjects. And let's face it, Tarantino chose um, a very good selection of actors to um, interpret these, these dialogues, these extended and eclectic dialogues for his movie, Pop Fiction. This film features an ironic combination of humor and strong violence. Tristar Pictures reportedly turned down the script as too demented. Go figure. <laughs> that sounded too demented for Tristar Pictures. Well, you lost Tristar Pictures. You could have won the, um, this movie, this amazing movie. So Miramax co-chairman... Uh, Harvey Weinstein, well, that's a character, was enthralled, however, and the film became the first that Miramax fully financed. And we thank Miramax for that, of course. <laughs> More pop fiction fun facts in just a while.
Well, did you know that the, um, the script um, where um, Samuel Jackson uh, says that quote I earlier quoted uh, that he says, and you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. The actual Bible verse says, I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. So that's the actual Bible verse. But, um, you know, scripture isn't the only thing, right, uh, director uh, Quentin Tarantino took creative liberties with um, for the film that premiered at Cannes Film Festival at May 21st, 1994, and in honor of Pop Fiction's anniversary. Here are some fun facts. Vincent Vegas, John Travolta character, trips to the bathroom. Potty breaks are bad news in this film. Whenever John Travolta's character, Vincent Vega, takes a powder, tragedy occurs. During his three bathroom breaks, Mia Wallace, played by Uma Thurman, overdoses the restaurant Uh, the restaurant where he and Jules are dining is held up and Bruce Willis Butch Coolidge aka Bruce Bru Butch Coolidge gets the drop on him and fed up the, um, the F word as I said before is used 265 times in a movie go ahead and count it and the notebook Uh, fueled by the money um, he had made from his film Reservoir Dogs and the deal he had for Pop Fiction, Tarantino took off the mess to Amsterdam to write the latter. Uh, according to Vanity Fair, he bought school notebooks and declared about one of them like a modern-day Hemingway This is the notebook in which I am going to write pop fiction. Well, I would love to have that notebook and put it like in a museum, if you don't mind. He ended up filling several notebooks, not just one. <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising, of course. The Honda Tarantino got a lot of use out of the Honda Civic that Butch The Butch drives in the film. It's the same car Pam Grier drives in the title role of Jackie Brown, if you remember that, and appears in a parking lot scene in Kill Bill, Volume 2. Starring Uma Thurman, you know that movie from Tarantino also. If you are a Tarantino fan, as I am. Speaking of cars, 1964. Chevelle Malibu. Convertible, Vincent Vega drove actually belonged to Tarantino, as I said earlier, that I really wanted you to know that Yahoo reported a few years back that one Bill Jimenez of San Leandro, California, 
had spent more than $40,000 to restore the classic ride, which he had for a dozen years before police informed him, informed him it was actually, actually the famous vehicle from Pulp Fiction and Tarantino was the, the owner, the original owner. For the record, Jimenez had never seen the film. What? He never seen the film <laughs> and did not know who Tarantino was at the time. So this is really funny. More fun facts in just a while. Jackson, Samuel Jackson was convincing enough. Producer Richard Gladstein told Vanity Fair that when Jackson did his second audition for his role, he showed up with a burger and fries on his hands. Key props in one of the film's pivotal scenes. You remember that scene, of course. The actor proceeded to consume the meal... So, menacingly, <laughs> the Glastein said, I thought that this guy was going to shoot a gun right through my head at that time. And 
uh, another fact from the movie, uh, one of Tarantino's friends, a recovering heroin addict, advised John Travolta on how best to portray a man riding that horse. He told the actor that getting drunk on tequila while relaxing in a hot bath would closely approximate a heroin high without him actually having to do the drug. Well, okay, tequila and a relaxing hot bath. Hmm, will you try that? I don't know. You tell me after. The bad wallet scene. The director didn't have to look far for one of the film's most memorable props, Jules Wallet. Samuel Jackson, Jules, you know. Jules Wallet, which had Bat Motherfucker written on the front of it, actually belonged to none other than Tarantino himself. So, the wolf, the scene. No one else could have played the man who specialized in messy cleanups. Tarantino reportedly wrote the character of Winston, the wolf, wolf, <laughs> specifically for Harvey Keitel. Keitel helped to get it made. It was the revered actor's commitment to taking on the role, which raised funding for Pulp Fiction, but also secured Tarantino's role as director, given that Keitel backed him for it. The same pie, Fabian's line, any time of day is a good time for pie, sounds familiar, it should. The character of Alabama says the same thing in another Tarantino film, True Romance. And the scene, what's in the case? There have been so many theories about what was in the mysterious briefcase that Jules and Vinny had to protect. Well, I'm curious about it also. With everything from gold to Marcella's soul being suggested, crazy suggestions, by the way, but Tarantino has said in interviews that it's whatever fans choose it to be, though he has also had fun with moviegoers by promising a reveal, but he didn't reveal it. Keeping it in the family and the meaning of the band aid, Marcelo sports a band aid on the back of his neck for a reason. It covers up a scar actor Ving Rhames had. And you know that dance trophy, the, the dance scene? The audience is led to believe that Vincent and Mia, Mia Wallace, Uma Thurman, won the dance contest at the Jack Rabbit Slim's restaurant. That scene where they are dancing, locking eyes, you know, I love it. And I even <laughs> had done it in my own home, home already. So I have fun with the movie. But late in the film, when Butch, uh, John Travolta, uh, no, Butch is, uh, okay, is uh, Bruce Willis. I'm getting messed up here, mixed up, is returning to get his watch. 
There's a radio bulletin at the trophy having been stolen. And the GIMP actually had a wife. Saturday Night Live, Alum uh, Julius Sweeney had a bit role in Pop Fiction as a junkyard owner. And the Wolf's Breakfast Date, Raquel. In real life, she had been married to Stephen Hibbert, who played the Gimp in the film, who later, as I told you before, made the idea for the Top Gear, you know, the car TV show that I love, and um, inspired the stick, <laughs> the stick character, the anonymous stick. So, uh, there's a lot of fun facts for you about Pulp Fiction. More to come later. But, a, a good song from a movie. There's a place where lovers go To cry their troubles away And they call it Lonesome Town Where the broken heart stays You can buy a dream or two To last you all through the years a heart full of tears Going down to Lonesome Town Where the broken heart stays Going down to Lonesome Town To cry my troubles away are filled with regret Maybe down in lonesome town I can learn to forget Maybe down in lonesome town I can learn to forget Good songs, good songs from movies and this one in particular, Pop Fiction, one of my favorite soundtracks of all times. A throwback serial, Tarantino apparently has a fondness for a particular brand of discontinued cereal. I love eating cereals. I don't eat them anymore, but I did for several years and I love it. Uh, just like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, on the TV show. Lance, played by Eric Stoltz, uh, is shown eating fruit brute in the movie The Cereal. The cereal, with its signature werewolf on the box, was part of the General Mills Monster Collection, which also included Count Chocula, 
Blueberry, Frankenberry, and Yummy Mummy. <laughs> there is also a box of Fruit Brute in Mr. Oranges, played by Tim Roth. Apartment in Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. It's nothing is by chance with um, Quentin Tarantino. Everything has a something related to, you know? And um, you know the scene uh, at the beginning of the now infamous overdose, overdose scene uh, where Mia Wallace, a.k.a. Uma Thurman, is wearing Vincent's John Travolta's coat. Moments later, she goes to light a cigarette and is no longer wearing it. The coat, you know. And the coat magically appears back on her once the cigarette is lit. Mysterious things in this movie. And did you know Robert Redford? I love Robert Redford. Who doesn't love Robert Redford? Right? And could have starred in the movie. Ronnie Yeskel, the film's casting director, told Flavorwire that unlike on Reservoir Dogs, Hollywood agencies were pitching Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, another amazing actor, and Bruce, Bruce Willis. Just the biggest names in the business that you could imagine. And we're sitting here in these rooms with all these suits, and they all look alike, and we're like kids in a candy store, Yaskul said. We couldn't believe they were pitching these people to us. This is so cool. That's why I love Pulp Fiction and Tarantino movies. I hope you liked this podcast for today about one of Quentin Tarantino's masterpiece. Enjoy the last song of the soundtrack. Bye-bye. See you next time. Untouchable.
Cause I wanna get it on till I die In my phone Cause I wanna get it on till I die Get it on till I die Get it on till I die Y'all, y'all remember me? Expect me, nigga, like you expect Jesus to come back. Expect me, nigga, I'm coming. <laughs>